0: kids. It is awesome to have them worship with us. Grateful to have you here and just to worship together. God's moving and uh, my mom would always say this, just stay alert to the nudges of God and I think God has something to nudge you with tonight. Whatever you may be in your journey with him and maybe you're here and just kind of investigating church and maybe coming back, maybe someone invited you and uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. I know it takes guts coming to a new place and to just investigate and to be on a, a spiritual journey. And we're so proud of you for being on that. We, we pray that this would be a place where you can investigate who Jesus is and kind of journey with Him f- for yourself, and maybe become part of uh, part of the crew here. that That is being. A- convinced about who he is and how he changes all things in life and so uh, if that's you just I'm thrilled you're here and uh, if that's not you I'm still thrilled you're here so um, I don't know if you have ever had a moment in life where you found money I remember as a kid walking into a 7-eleven that we used to visit Uh, it's the same 7-eleven when my dad would get those brain freezes you remember you're your people, okay. So, and he was driving home, like, ah, like that. We were like, don't drink so much. Anyway, so, like, I remember walking in, and there was, like, a $20 bill sticking out from, like, underneath the rug. And being young, I was like, no one else is seeing this, right? I'm lower to the ground. I have the advantage. Still do. Thank you very much. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> grab the 20 look at my dad, and say, like, is this like finders, keepers, losers, weepers? And then my dad in wisdom said, no, my all." And he's like, let's just leave a note that we found money. If someone comes back, then what's, we'll, and I said, well, can I, can we keep the money at least? Like, yes, they'll leave our number and no one ever called, <laughs> Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Okay, so that, I was also at a place uh, one time with we the Toros, back when the Toros were here. Anyone remember that? Uh, we used to have AAA baseball here. And they had these things called pay phones. So, like, if you're, like, th- if you're over 30, you might remember that. if you're under 30, then, like, Google it, because uh, you'll see. It's, like, these phones that were, like, stable, and you you could, like, put a quarter in it to call someone and it it still had this attachment, like you couldn't walk away, Um, like you're just like within a foot of, and it it was really, it was hard times growing up when in our generation, so anyway, but I remember walking by and like sticking my finger in because sometimes the change would fall back down and I found $10 worth of quarters out of one pay phone and and that was finders, keepers, losers, weepers, I didn't tell anybody, Um, so got that, right? And how many of you have ever experienced something like that? You've you found money, right? And it, it kind of brought up this glee within your heart because here's the reality about money. Money has a way of stirring up your emotions. Sometimes it's really good and it's fun and it's enjoyable. And sometimes money has a way of stirring up different emotions too. Huh? And we probably all log time there where it's stirred up motions of fear or anguish, regret, uh, maybe you've logged some time with some of those emotions when it comes to money. What's fascinating is that money is a thing. It doesn't have a personality. There's no DNA to it, there's no relationship to it, but yet we relate to it. And what's fascinating about money is it has a way of kind of getting in to every area of life, and so we wanted to take just a couple weeks and talk about kind of money, Jesus, and you. And how does some of this cross-reference with your life? And, and what does the scripture have to say about this? What does Jesus have to say about this? And, and some people have asked, well, why do you talk about money every year or so? Because you have to deal with money, and I have to deal with money every day or so. And the reality is, this is something that the scriptures speak so much about. Because here's what I know about you. For some of you, you were raised on, like, the chore chart, And you got an allowance for doing your chore chart and you got the stars and the smiley faces and the the stickies and and you got uh, like an allowance every week with that. And so you learned that you had to work for this. For some of you, uh, you you just kind of maybe got an allowance and maybe your parents were trying to teach you how to manage money and they just said, hey, every week you get 10 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. (laughs) That wasn't my family. So like 10 bucks type thing and they were teaching how to manage and that's good. For some of you, you just went to the great vending machine in your house, which was mom and dad. And you're like, hey, I wanna do something. And they were like, okay, hey, here you go. And so you have a way that you relate with money, so do I. In fact, the people in your same row, I bet every single one of you has a difference of how you relate. For some of you, you grew up and you maybe had an allowance, and you started or you started working, and you actually made giving to like a church or giving to charities like just a part of what you do, and you wanted to practice generosity because maybe you saw your family do that and the way they blessed people around you, and it was so fun to be able to do that. And for some of you, that's such a foreign concept because maybe some of you grew up with a scarcity mindset. And you never knew if there was actually going to be enough money to put food on the table or to, to go visit a doctor when he needed to or to find a way to do some of the after-school programs that you wanted to do. You just didn't know. And so you had this scarcity mindset of just trying to hold on and maybe there's going to be enough. And, and to have extra was like, that, that just wasn't part of the equation. And for some of you, extra was all you knew. Like, you never worried about money. There was never a hindrance to it. It was just always available and and a part of it. And and what we know playing out some of these scenarios is that each and every single one of us is at a different place. And how we relate, how we navigate, how we manage, how we see, what filters we use when it comes to money. What's fascinating is that Jesus actually spoke About money. When you study the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, he actually spoke about what to do with money, our view of money, our our view of resources and the things we've been given uh, with a greater extent than what he spent talking about heaven, hell, and marriage combined. And, And you may be like, well, why? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about life-giving words and about things that mattered in life. And I think Jesus knew a secret that maybe we haven't woken up to or, or we do in phases, we do in seasons. And the reality is that there will continually be this tension that must be managed around money and God. That there's this link and Jesus talks about it in a way of saying, look, you cannot serve both God and money. It's like this eternal kind of tug of war, if you will. That there will be this tug of war that you and I cannot escape from. You can't like live to a certain season that you never have to wrestle with it again. It will continually be this internal tug of war as we try to figure out this relationship that we have with money and relationship with God. And, you know, we understand Jesus speaks a lot about it. Well, it wasn't because he was preoccupied about it. He was a homeless traveling rabbi. I mean, it's not like he was living in a palace and and all these things, but he knew the human heart will wrestle with this and will actually determine the direction it begins to go. And if you want to be my disciple, you will have to kind of wrestle with this tension all of your life. If you want to be a follower of me, then this tension will not go away, and I'm going to continually call you to something great. In fact, he says this in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons Jesus gives. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the tug of war he's talking about. He's speaking about a reality that no matter your status, your gender, your race, there will be a competition for your allegiance, your attention, and your affection. God loves you, friends. He is all in for you. And he desires for you to be all in for him. But money will continually whisper to you, seek me more. Seek me more. And God is saying, no, no, no. I'm all in for you. I want you to seek me. Seek me first. And yet money has this way of whispering. And it has this way of calling for your attention. And so the questions become, who will you choose? God or money? Jesus is making it pretty clear. You cannot have both. And that doesn't mean you can't have money, but you cannot have this love for it. And you cannot allow your allegiance, your attention, your affections to be in one way and not the other. You cannot serve both. Is what Jesus is saying. So the questions remain Who will I give my heart to most? Who will I allow to have the authoritative voice and pull in my own heart? Who will I give my ultimate focus and attention to? And Jesus is continually saying, Who's it going to be? You can't have both. And so you have to choose. And as a follower, as a disciple of me, part of growing as a disciple means we have to wrestle with attention and we have to more often than not begin to shift our mindset. And so that's what I want to look at today is kind of some mental biblical mindset shifts that we have to make when it comes to money, resources, uh, our things, our possessions that the scriptures speak to. Next week, we're gonna look at this idea of how do you make a plan? How do you live with wisdom in this? And the last, uh, the last week, we're gonna look at this. How do you continually foster and grow this heart of generosity? Because that's what Jesus longs for And here. He says you cannot serve both. So in the simplest way, and maybe the most unmistakable way, Jesus is declaring, you must choose. And you must, I must continually choose. Who's it going to be? You can only have one master. So some mental uh, biblical money shifts that I want to look at. If you have your Bible, you have the app, you can open up, go to Sermon Notes, follow along. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 to kind of get at one of these first original ones. And we'll look at two or three others as we wrap up for tonight. Just some things to kind of put our arms around. In this, this is the parable of the talents. And Jesus is telling this parable where he's uh, explaining some talents. Talent was a, a group of, or kind of a, a, a f- sum of money that was given out in this parable, what you begin to see. And the owner gives this to three different servants. The owner gives out different amounts, which at first when you read it, you may go, well, that's unfair. It should be equal. Everything should be equal. Well, not necessarily. And so here's how it starts. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it is just like a man who is going on a journey. He called his servants together and entrusted them possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went and put them to work, earned five more. In the same way, the person who had received two went and earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and buried his master's money. So we see that the outset of this parable, Jesus is setting something up, and the premise of what he's getting to is the master has entrusted his resources to his servants. To be entrusted with something means that someone trusted you with something. Here's the point. In our case, God has entrusted you with your skills, your talents, your resources, your possessions here on earth to leverage them and to use them and to invest them. They may not be equal amounts, but we all have been equally entrusted. They may not be equal amounts, but we've all been equally entrusted. And so what do you do with what you've been entrusted with? This parable is getting at a couple different things. This premise, this idea of understanding that we are not necessarily owners. There's one owner, and we are to be stewards of what we've been gifted. That's kind of where he's going. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. That means the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Where's Jack's house? Where's Jack's, you know, portfolio and all this stuff? No, no, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, well, maybe there's space for my No, no, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, do you get the point? The world and all the people before him. God ultimately is the owner of all things. We are to be managers not owners. That's probably the biggest mental biblical shift when it comes to understanding our resources and our money is to understand that we are managers, not owners. Now, for some of you, that instantly pushes back. You're like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa. whoa. I work hard for my money. I work hard for my money. Uh, You're singing that in your mind. I don't see God showing up at the HR department clocking in. Okay? Who gave you the ability To do what you do Uh, who, who allowed you to have the resources that you had to have the experiences that you have to get you to the place that you're at now to put people around you to equip you to be the person that you're at and doing the very thing that you're doing could that be taken away yeah so god is the owner you're the manager I'm the steward. I'm I'm the manager. I'm meant to steward the things that he's entrusted to me. Why? Because he's the one that gifted it. And he's the one that's entrusted. I've been entrusted with something from him, on loan from him. My skills, my talents, and my ability, my resources, they're not mine, 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 mine. We're not the birds from Nemo. God has entrusted those to you. And so manage them well. God has been your silent partner, your key investor all your life, whether you knew it or not. He's been active with you. Sometimes we can feel like, well, God didn't give me enough talents. Like, I'm that one talent, dude. Like, I I wish I wanted, I want the five. Like, who would want the five? And And sometimes we can feel this loss or so. Jesus speaks to this a few verses later when he says, look, don't worry about these things. Saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the minds of unbelievers. But your heavenly father, listen to this, already knows what you need. Think about that. The creator of the heavens and the earth already knows. Have you ever found yourself having that conversation with God? God, I don't know if you know. But, like, I've got these bills that we gotta pay. I've got these resources I gotta manage. I don't know if you know. Am I the only one that's had this conversation in my head, maybe even out loud? (laughs) God already knows. I appreciate that. (laughs) He already knows. These things dominate the minds of those who aren't seeking God first. But God already knows. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, he may not give you everything you want. Neither did your parents. And you may have complained, but I bet if you're older, you can look back in hindsight and go, man, I'm glad they didn't give me everything I wanted. That the things I needed were important. It's humbling and empowering to acknowledge that we are not the owners of our stuff, our possessions, our talents, our gifts, our abilities. We're meant to be stewards, to be managers of them. And that will never cease. We will continually have to wrestle with this. The very next verse. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they used his money there is a reality for accounting for what we've been entrusted with there's a reality that there's an accounting for what you've been entrusted with because as the owner who has entrusted something to someone and wants them to be a good manager of course they would check up on that of course they would come and see how did you leverage that for your good your needs For the good of others, you're to be good stewards, to manage this. We continually manage. We never stop managing. You never get to a place where you just kind of, well, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. No, because there will continually always be this tug of war that's going on. And who will you choose? You cannot serve both. And so as a manager of God's stuff, I'm called to steward it, to use it what's been entrusted to me for my good and for the good and the blessing of myself and others in that. Maybe another mental shift that we are to make is we must use money, not let it use us. We must use money, but not let it end up using us. Paul writes about this, First Timothy chapter 6. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered off from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, money itself is not the problem. God is not anti-money. He knows that having money will take care of your needs and the necessities you have in life and be a blessing to you and to others. There's nothing wrong with making money. Making money would enable you to serve yourself well and your family well and to serve others and to give more and to do more good in the world. So God's not against this, he's for this, but he's for your good in it and for my good in it. And so he continually calls us to say, see, the real problem is the love of money. That's where this tug of war is. And Jesus is saying, you cannot serve both. You've got to choose. And I want you to choose me because I'm choosing you. And I want you to choose me. The real problem is when it comes to our finances, the Bible is less concerned about how much money we possess and more concerned about how much what we have possesses us. And so the scriptures and and Paul are writing and saying, look, don't let stuff use you. Don't let your stuff that you acquire and accumulate and your money and the things that you get, just don't let it end up using you because it'll actually take you on this rabbit trail where you begin seeking other things versus God. Now, you can have money, a little or a lot, but you want to use it, not be used by it. And so there's this continual tension we have to wrestle with. Have you ever known someone who did something really, really stupid because they were pursuing money? Anyone know anybody? Yeah. Maybe you're that person. I've logged time there. You've done something really dumb, short-sighted, because you were just craving more. See, money whispers a lot of promises. It promises us that uh, we will have peace and that we'll feel secure and that we won't have any more problems. And we actually start to begin to buy into this. We think, when I get that raise, I can finally relax. When I get a little more money in the bank, then it'll be smooth sailing. Or if I can just get over this hump, then all will be good again. But money whispers a lot, promises a lot. But it cannot guarantee anything. It says it does. Our culture says it does. And it will whisper really loud to you, whisper really loud to me. But see, money cannot ultimately deliver on what it promises. It cannot guarantee happiness. I know a lot of people who have a lot of money who are miserable. And so it doesn't guarantee happiness. I know some of you are like, I'd like to try. Would you? In in theory, we would. But I know a lot of people who have a lot of money who are pierced with a lot of different struggles than I have. And we've seen people go sideways. It cannot guarantee happiness. Money won't deliver everlasting peace or eternal security. It doesn't. Money is not divine. It is not eternal. It is not all-knowing. It is not all-powerful. One illness, one accident, one economic downturn, and all of that gets kind of washed out to sea, if you will, emotionally. It cannot guarantee. Money cannot deliver what only God can. And so if you want in search for security and hope and a sense of meaning and purpose, then Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose. I'm choosing you. I I want you to choose me. And so Jesus has this way of speaking about life. God doesn't want us to put more faith into money than we do into him. And for some of us, that is the tug of war tension. Am I putting more faith into my money and what I acquire, what I accumulate, what I can hold onto than into God himself? And listen, we may log a month there You may log a year there. For some of you, it may be a couple decades now where you log in time in that tension. This tug of war never goes away. You never get to a spot where you don't have to think about it anymore, where you don't have to manage through it. See, it's not a problem you solve. It's this tension you have to navigate, and that's why Jesus is continually calling. Look, you cannot serve both. Choose me. I choose you. You can have money. You can use it. Just don't let it use you. Do you see why this is so uh, fluid in a lot of ways? It's not just A, B, C and you get it all done. Maybe a third mental shift for us as followers of Jesus, as disciples of him, is we must cultivate contentment. We must learn how to cultivate contentment. We must learn to enjoy what we have. In a world that is continually telling us and reminding us of all the things we don't have, we have to make it a point in life to say, I want to cultivate contentment. Appreciation for what I have is important. Uh, This verse, remember, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, Just right before that, here's what Paul says But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, we'll take nothing out. If we have food, clothing, we'll be content with those. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul is the one who said in Philippians, I have learned the secret, he said, of being content. Contentment is a secretive thing. It doesn't get celebrated in our culture. Acquiring, accumulation, getting more, that's what gets celebrated in our culture. And Jesus is saying, I think wanting us as disciples, as followers of him, to grow as a disciple means I'm growing to cultivate contentment more. For some of you, maybe the best lesson you can give yourself to help you in that is that when you find yourself wanting something new, that you put a six-month bumper on. That you just go, okay, I can have things. I can have wants. It's not that I can't have wants. I'm going to focus more on my needs. I may go after a few wants, but for some of us, we're so quick to go after wants. Maybe if we just said, okay, this is what I want, but I'm going to deliberately tell myself it's six months from now, I can get it. Why? Because I want to learn to be content. And in a culture that pushes, no, you've got to have it now. You've got to go give it. You don't have it. You need it. No, no, you want it, as my mama would say. Jack, you need to know the difference between a need and a want. And don't let your wants drive your life. Let your needs. You can minister that. And guess who already knows what you need? I don't know. I think we read it earlier. God already knows what you need. What an awesome God. It's amazing to feel, and when you get your mind around this, to to cultivate contentment. Contentment can be learned. It just needs to be practiced. And so for some of you, figure out ways that you can help cultivate contentment in your life. Our culture doesn't celebrate that, but contentment is something that we need. You may not be born with it, but you can learn, and that's good news for all of us. Don't trade yourself for stuff. Jesus said, what would it benefit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? Don't trade yourself for stuff and the accumulation, the acquirement that, listen, you can have things. God's not against that. You can have money. You can use it. Just don't get used by it. Cultivate contentment in your heart. See, as long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth, you're going to be always chasing the next dollar and missing out on the joy of contentment. And so the scriptures say, look, you need to know the difference between a need and want. Cultivate contentment. And maybe right with that, a fourth one, would be grow your gratitude. Be intentional about growing your gratitude. Cultivating contentment is enjoying what I have. Growing your gratitude is being thankful for all I've been given. I'm grateful, I'm cultivating contentment, I'm enjoying what I have. God, I'm blown away by everything you've given because you're the owner and I'm the manager. And I've been entrusted with something, and you want me to be a good steward of it. See, gratitude is a powerful thing. Intentional gratitude is a needed mind shift for people who are trying to follow Jesus. In a culture that says it's never enough, and you just need a little bit more. See, when you're always searching and trying to go after what's next, you don't get to enjoy what you already have. You don't get to cultivate contentment. You don't get to grow your gratitude in that. So be intentional about growing gratitude. What am it to look like for you to walk throughout your day and just have many conversations with God? God, I may not like my car, but it's your car. And it's awesome that I have it because I don't like the Flintstones. I don't want to walk everywhere but I'm grateful that you have provided this for right now. Sure, I'd like something maybe different down the road, but right now this is good, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the relationships I've had, for the job I have, for the opportunities around me, for the fun things I get to do at times, and for just the normal things that I get to do throughout my day. I'm grateful for the opportunity that you've given me. And so you begin to listen and live out this gratefulness. See, entitlement says, I don't have what I deserve. But gratitude says, I have what I don't deserve. I have my family. I have my health. I have so many things. And so be intentional about, I love this quote from John Jowett, gratitude is a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. Think about that. In our culture, that's always pushing for more. And what you don't have. What would it look like to begin to give a little vaccine to yourself called gratitude? Gratitude is the fuel that helps us grow an active walk as a disciple of Jesus. And so here's what my challenge is for you this week. These are some biblical mental shifts that we all have to make in the tension between money and God. And, and how do you deal with that in it? God's blessed you and entrusted you with resources and talents and abilities and money and skill sets that that the person next to you doesn't have. But you've been entrusted with it. You may not have equal amounts, but you have equally been entrusted to manage what he's asked you to manage. And so in this series, we want to unpack how do you begin to go about doing that? What would it look like from a biblical mindset to begin to, to manage and walk this out? To grow your gratitude, here's the 10-minute the challenge I have for you this week, is to get out a thank you card and sit, just you and God, for 10 minutes. And just write a note. Maybe it's bullet points if you're an engineer because you don't want to write all the fluffy sentences. What are you grateful for? What are you grateful for that God's given you, that he's, blessed, that he's entrusted into you? And there is a counting going on to what he's entrusted to you. What are you grateful for? How can you grow your gratitude? Take 10 minutes and do that. With a thank you card, if you want to write, if you're digital, then get out a a note on your phone and just start typing and start going. Take 10 minutes this week and intentionally grow your gratitude. So as we move to communion, we lean in with grateful hearts. That's what gratitude is, just being grateful. And so would you pray with me as we do that, as maybe there's a moment here for God to do some wrestling in your own heart. Remember how I told you at the beginning, this is where there's a nudge. Maybe there's a nudge going on in your heart, in your spirit right now, where God's saying, see, hey, you need to work on some cultivating contentment. Or this whole tug of war has been going on a long time, and you've been winning, but by winning, you're actually losing. What would it look like to grow your gratitude? What would it look like to to use money and not be used so much by it? And so, Father, we know that you've entrusted us. Sometimes we don't have that mindset or just in this tug of war, we lose that mindset. We go back to feeling like the owner of everything when in reality, I'm just called to be a manager you want me to be a good steward of it. You want us to be good stewards of it. To not only bless us and meet the needs that we have, but to be a blessing to the world around us. To maximize the impact of good that it can have. And so as we kind of ponder communion again tonight, remembering the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we're grateful once again that he is our saviour that speaks words into our life that are counter-cultural, that are sometimes hard to swallow, sometimes hard to get our mind around because they're so counter to the culture that swirls around us, that says get more, keep more, keep it for yourself. And yet that traps so many people and we feel it. And the freedom that money whispers It never delivers on its promise. But Jesus, you do. And you did. And you continue to. As you went to the cross to benefit us because you loved us. You're all in for us. And you desire for us to be all in back to you. And we must choose. So would you help us to choose to take that nudge that your spirit's given us tonight and to walk that out. To grow our gratitude, maybe to walk in a way that's a blessing to ourselves and to the world around us. We remember, Jesus, thank you for your example. Do you help us to have your mindset, especially when it comes to money and resources. We ask in Jesus' name.